0: You there, Pete?
1: Yes, I'm on here.
0: Excellent. How about you, Barry?
1: Yep, I'm here, ready to roll.
0: Oh, very good. I don't know whether you'll uh, hear the, the... We've got a noisy miner nesting in the, uh, the the courtyard, which uh, <laughs> at the moment, the little birds are chirping. I've got the doors shut and everything, so hopefully we're not going to get... Uh, get too many interruptions from them but it's sort of it's sort of nice to see a couple of little birds in the nest chirping uh chirping away it's a, a fun thing to to watch and to see the parents flying back and forth
2: yeah. it doesn't matter what yeah, species it's dogs. all the same
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's that's true how's how's your uh, how's your week been barry
1: yeah good i was just gonna say i i get a bit spoiled with birds we get um rainbow lorikeets and king parrots and cockatoos all the time at my house although right now it's just cicada 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 that's all i hear but um (laughs) oh that's been a pretty good week how about you id
0: yes yeah yeah it's been a a, it's been a pretty good week for for me as well not up to anything particular other than watching these uh these little birds in their their nest and doing a fair bit of gardening we've had a couple of uh, a couple of hot days so it's been getting some watering and some new plants um and doing a bit of weeding getting good uh a few good tomatoes as well, and a few good herbs. So, yeah, been doing all right. What about you, Pete? How's your week been?
2: Oh, back into the uh, salt mines this week. So uh, we're all uh, straight back into it on the work front. Uh, Yeah, trying to go and keep the garden uh, hydrated with the few hot days we've had as well. So, uh, yeah. Uh, all Excellent. Bit of business as usual.
0: Yep, yeah, well, speaking of business as usual, let's get stuck into it. Okay, good morning. I'm Ardeet, and welcome to Talking AusPol, the official podcast of the Australian Politics subreddit. It's the 15th of January, 2023, and today, Logan Berry and myself are joined by KTSV Pete. Pete. Uh, we've got a lot of topics today, and if we don't get through them all, we'll likely talk about them on next week's show. Uh, We're going to be talking today about uh, Dom Perrottet dressing up as a Nazi, the passing of George Pell, taxpayer-funded VIP flights not being reported, uh, what's being said about The Voice, time to remove stamp duty, action on carbon credits is heating up, and should non-union members be levied for union successes? Well, we'll we'll start off with uh, (laughs) Perate. Dressing up as a, a Nazi and seeing as you're our guest, Pete, we'll start with you first. What's your opinion?
2: Well, I think if there's any one of us who has uh, had a wise head on our shoulders at 21, you'd be a rare, oh. uh, you'd be a rare breed indeed. Um, I think, in the grand scheme of things, it's a bit of a nothing burger, uh, and probably speaks more towards some of the internal party infighting. Uh, given the the uh, report that the, it came from within, uh, but yeah, I mean, twenty first, according to uh, to the, what we've seen reported, uh, Perito's uh, parents counselled in the very next morning about the appropriateness of it. So, seems like they've uh, sort of took appropriate action twenty years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, I'd I'd probably tend to agree with that. What do you think, Barry?
1: Yeah, I'm of much the same mindset. Um, I agree that the biggest story here is the kind of intra-party turmoil we're seeing in the liberals and how that's gonna play out going into um the state election coming up in March. Um I I do think it still matters and it it's gonna swing votes. It's gonna be a defining story of this election. I I was we were talking about um our, our predictions for for this year yep. and about the state um election last podcast and i i can't see like i, I think we were i was 50 50 i date you'll maybe lean more towards a liberal win if i remember correctly and and i don't think this will help yep. him i might might go down to um 45 55 for a labor win now um but I, I do agree it's not the biggest story ever and it'll be interesting to see. i'd love to see what went on in the party though i think it'd be so interesting to see kind of the stoush between David Elliott and Don Parate that led to this.
0: Yeah, look, the behind the scenes are are, are interesting. I think as an apology goes, he handled it well. It was direct. uh, It was an unambiguous acknowledgement with no wiggle room. Uh, He got uh, people on board uh, beforehand. I can't remember the uh, I don't remember if it was the Australian Jewish Council, but there was a, a Jewish organisation who he had contacted beforehand. Uh, so I think, as far as an apology goes, he's he's done it well. And anybody who brings it up in the the future, uh, that's a roadblock for them to be able to make a, a big deal out of it. I've also found it on uh, interesting on the Australian politics sub uh, how many people have commented. That when we do that we do stupid things when we're younger. Uh for for something that for a sub that's often quite sort of partisan, I found it interesting how many people have looked at that and said, wow, God, I can't be throwing stones here. I know I mean, I know personally for me, I'd hate to be judged on what I did when I was bloody, what 20 year old me did. So, uh yeah, look, as you as you said, Barry, it'll be interesting to see how it uh, it gets handled, and it will also be interesting to see whether we see, uh, I don't know, details of what is going on behind the scenes, because obviously coming up to an election, uh, they're going to be trying to keep a lot of infighting, hush-hush.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think also an interesting thing is... Uh where people want to go and use it as a cudgel, uh, it sort of opens up into the broader subject of, you know, is there such a thing as redemption for people or the ability to learn and improve? Uh, And if we don't give people room for that, then uh, that in itself, that kind of attitude can lead to all sorts of issues because people then start to take on the attitude of, you know what, if I'm not going to be forgiven for anything that I've done, why should I bother trying to improve?
0: You're a hundred percent correct it's a it's a dangerous road to go down um and if you're going to be putting that out as a a measuring stick, you have to be prepared to have yourself measured by that and uh it's not really the society I'd like to be in uh now uh let's get on to our second topic uh which is is probably a bit more of an acknowledgement than anything else uh George Pell passing. Uh look, there was a mix mixed bag of feelings out there about this. Uh there's an ABC article uh where is it? Fourteenth of January by Rohan Salmond, uh who said both admirers and critics can probably agree with uh the former CEO of Truth, Justice and Healing Council, Francis Sullivan's summation of Cardinal Pell's legacy. He was a lightning rod for discontent. He was a cultural warrior He had ideological positions that you never died wondering about, and he would say that of himself. I thought that was a reasonable summation, also a reasonable summation from somebody who, uh, through that committee, had a lot of exposure to Pell and everything that had gone on with him, both the good and the the bad. Uh, Technically, he's not a politician, but when you're talking about... uh, when he's talking about all of everything he was involved in. He definitely has an element of a political figure, which is why we build- which is why we're discussing him uh, t- today. Start with you, Barry, on this. Uh, what's your opinion?
1: Um, look, yeah, I, I mean I, we, when we were talking about these topics, I, I did um, put to you that I, I didn't think they were the most political in mind topics, this one and the previous one. but I think it's still an issue. I, I said I really wanted to mention them as we are. And it's an issue that the Australian public is going to take very seriously and takes very seriously. You know, there, as you said, there's a lot of different opinions on, on George Pell. Um, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I would say it's safe to say that the general public opinion that he was definitely guilty of something is is probably up there. And it's going to be interesting going through. On the, on the more politic side, of course, we had the questions around um, state funerals which both Parate and uh, Dan Andrews have declined. Um, I don't think they were ever asked officially to do it, but they were asked by media and they, they did both say that they wouldn't um, hold a state funeral for George Pell, which is definitely the right decision. And I think uh, talking about his legacy, um, you know, we have talked previously about how religion is, is definitely on the decline in this country and I I can't see George Pell's legacy um helping that I know as a younger person um that the kind of perspective of churches and particularly the Catholic Church among almost all young people is is not good it's not good at all they are the butt of many many jokes so I don't see how this entire story is is going to help um the Catholic Church and also again politically um, I think Dutton touching on this issue seemed a bit silly I, I would have I would have taken a uh, maybe a perhaps more quiet approach um, we did have Dutton come out and you know have a bit of support for for George Pell mm-hmm. and I, I'm not expecting him to come out and you know assassinate the guy's character but I I wouldn't be in Dutton's position maybe signing myself on, to the entire uh story and issue around George Powell as, as hard as he did i think
0: yeah look i suppose politically it's not really the it's not the best look I, look it's, it's it's tricky because of what was found out legally but then it's also tricky because of uh yeah what what was found out by a mission of action and look t- t- to be perfectly honest i i wasn't a big fan of of george pell um i didn't like how he came across i thought he came across as as arrogant i did uh there's a number of things that he uh did in a bureaucratic sense so i sort of thought i can see that with the uh the finances of the vatican but he left me cold and he didn't ever strike me as a compassionate man now that's from a distance i didn't know him uh I am assume plenty of people can it's it's difficult to judge someone from a distance but just up front he wasn't he wasn't my favorite person, and I do agree with you that uh, it's not a great move by dutton what what do you think pete
2: the um you're i mean i think that uh, that opening little stanza that you gave is probably fairly accurate um it touched on the reality of things in that uh Yes, he was an important figure for those within uh, the Catholic Church. Um, the prominence of the role that he got himself uh, up and appointed into uh, was, you know, maybe a source of pride for those people within the Catholic Church in Australia, which I think is probably part of what pushed um, his prominence. Uh, for someone who otherwise would have just, you know, been another member of the clergy somewhere. Uh, certainly the controversy around uh, his uh, trial charges and subsequent acquittal, like I said, that's classic, you know, one word against another situation. And mm. for, I mean, there's, I think that's realistically where most people will go and have their sense of controversy over him uh, because there's not a person alive who would stick their hand up publicly and Uh, condone any childhood abuse Um, and the stench of it sticks uh, and this is part of the issue around uh, crimes such as this because even if someone is acquitted which he was it still lingers over Well, but did he just not get found out do is it a case of they just couldn't prove it um and unfortunately, that's that's the nature of it. And all of this, we have to go and put faith in the legal system there that through the processes that they've got it right. Because if we don't allow that to happen, then we undermine our entire system. Yep.
0: Yeah. Look, you're you, you're right. <laughs> Your second comment already this morning on how uh, how badly society could go. Uh, if, we, if we don't accept the systems, if we don't accept uh, f- forgiveness and redemption. So that's uh, th- that's pertinent. Uh, we did have a comment here from one of our regulars, Ben Along. Uh, what about Pell wearing Cardinal's robes? That's probably worse than Perote wearing a Nazi uniform. So.
2: I did have a chuckle at that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. For, thank you for that, Ben Along. Well, uh, from passing over to flying over. Taxpayer funded VIP flights not being reported. Now there's uh, the the Parliamentary Expenses Authority Program. uh, Parliamentary Expenses Authority, who does report on this, is currently having a problem, a software problem. They've been out of operation for a while and they don't expect to be back in operation until uh, later in 2023. So much as that irks me, I can understand that you might have an issue there, even though I'm always a bit sus about what we're being told. But for me, of more concern is the Department of Defence choosing not to tell taxpayers how their money is being spent. There's an article in uh, Guardian Friday the 13th by Christopher Naus that said the Department of Defence, meanwhile, has chosen to temporarily stop publishing its biannual reports about the use of its RAAF special purpose jets which are used by the Prime Minister and senior ministers and their staff. The flights are thought to cost about $4,600 an hour, and the Defence reports were the only way for the public to know they were being used. And Defence says it is reviewing the guidelines around publication of the reports due to security concerns in consultation with the Australian Federal Police and Department of Finance. The government has not published updated details of the flight since August 21, almost 18 months ago, and the last disclosed flights were for those taken in July and December 2020. Now, when I see dereliction of duty, which I consider this to be being blamed on security concerns, I'm naturally suspicious. Uh, it might be true, but if there's anything this century has driven home to me about bureaucrats, it's that they can't be trusted. And I think if you're spending uh, money on something that's costing 4600 an hour, as well as using the resources of uh, the Department of Defence, I think the taxpayer is well and truly entitled as a priority to know what's happening. Now, am I just being a bit picky there, Pete? How do you see it?
2: Well, I've got a little bit of unique insight into some of this stuff because of um, my previous life and people that I know. Uh, the, the figure that gets that 4,600 an hour is probably, it's a figure that puts in a lot of details that, and costs that would be incurred anyway. Uh, for example, the, the VIP fleet of aircraft that the RAF run are all leased aircraft. So there is that lease fee that needs to be paid regardless. The pilots and aircrew, are. Members of the RAAF, their salaries, allowances, and so on, again, are costs that are incurred anyway, regardless of whether an aircraft is sitting on the ground or whether it's flying. Uh, with some of these flights, I do know they do get counted in as uh, training flights, uh, which there is a certain number of hours that pilots need to do on aircraft types to remain current so there is sharing of costs as it were in some things so while 100 percent there should be reporting of usage the, in the same breath there should be a more refined way in which those costs are reported uh, and really make it distinct as to what are the operating costs of that particular flight as opposed to what are the costs of maintaining the capability
0: Ah, uh, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. That puts in a uh, puts in a bit of a different perspective. Uh, uh, as you said, it doesn't change the fact that it needs to be reported, but uh, it does change how I'm viewing that forty six hundred bucks an hour, though. That's yeah. interesting. Were, were you aware of that, uh, Barry?
1: No, I wasn't, and it's interesting to hear a bit more of the uh, technical side. Um, oh going through it for me i I don't have too much knowledge of the um processes so it it is um, fantastic to hear pete talk about them to to learn a bit more about it um look this was a program that was reportedly somewhat botched by the previous government and that there's to me it's fine for labor to use that excuse right now if um when dodging criticism but you got to fix it you're you're now the government you've got to fix it and i think the bigger picture for me Out of this story is it's just spelling out the need for the icac this is the sort of stuff that you know needs to be in the icac um if these flights are being taken without i know this story is more about the failure to um i guess register i forget the um going blank on the word um or inform the public about the flights um but i i'm sure there will also be some flights in there that maybe shouldn't have been taken and, and at that price point you, you really need to look into them but in saying that there's you know at the price point is it too big of a deal for me these are going to be expensive and there's reasons for polys to take taxpayer flights um that like to, to me there are plenty of reasons for them to say we're not expecting you know they they do have to travel the country a lot and they do have to do it somewhat um safely it's not the most dangerous job in the world but there there are obviously some some risks involved and especially for the higher level a higher level politicians but obviously there's got to be a limit on that i think pete um summed it up pretty well and i i don't have too much of an opinion on it sure it's bad hopefully it gets fixed and while i'm not as Skeptical as as you are, deep, I I definitely would like to see <laughs> actually working. <laughs>
0: well, if I can if I can throw another bit of skepticism or maybe cynicism in there, your comment that you made about the uh, something like this and relating it to being included under the purview of ICAC, I think is uh, is a good comment because I feel like as soon as you have secrecy mixed with money and or uh, perks and benefits, then that's when you have the seeds of corruption being sown. And, you know, I, I feel like this has to be, it, it has to be open and it has to be discussed. Otherwise, we do risk um we do risk that being another uh, another problem. So look, you're, you're right. I am, I am a I am a bit uh, a, a bit cynical and sceptical about some of these things, but I do think these things do need to be uh, be transparent and and clearly discussed. Uh, Talking about being discussed, this was a topic uh, that you were wanting to have included in here, uh, Barry, which we agreed with, is what's being said about the the voice. Uh, we've got the, the Black Greens, spelt B-L-A-K Greens, uh, saying they won't support Indigenous voice without treaty negotiations. Uh, we've got discussion about Labor's voice strategy. We've got discussions about possible changes that might affect the the process of the referendum with regards to yes and no side being um, f- being funded. Uh, Dutton's throwing his two cents in. Uh, Kenneth's throwing his two cents in that they're trying getting on this thing. Well, Albanese needs to be more open. So there's plenty of discussions going on. We're going to be ha- this won't be the last time we're talking about this this year. But uh, seeing as this was your suggestion, Barry, let's start off with you.
1: Yeah, I think um, you're right. It's not going to be the last time we're, we're talking about this year. In fact, I, this will be the biggest talking point of the year. The voice referendum hopefully yeah. coming in 2023. Um, yeah, some of the discussion around this week, I it's, it's not bearing well for it. Um, I am pretty confident I will be voting yes. Of course, we've got... A long time until then and a lot of opinions still to be made and information to be made public um, but i would be pretty confident going into this that i i would vote yes and in saying that it's not bearing well none of this is is um is bearing well for the success of the voice with dudden being iffy obviously he's not outright saying no um but he's definitely been iffy about this and with revolts inside sort of the people and groups you would think would be more pushing this with the black greens and in this we've had plenty of um stories about um kind of disagreements in in first nations communities about what this will do okay. I I just I look you know many things can change when um in the next few months or whenever we get about to it it'll probably be later this year so more than a few months but but this is not bearing well I think the thing for me going into this is that I really am disliking the cultural aspect of it. I've I've always kind of hated that term. And while I think we have bared the brunt you, you get on the on the Reddit particularly, but in, in general public, you see a lot of talk about how we're becoming, you know, our politics is becoming more polarized and more Americanized. Um in the idea that culture and culture wars are becoming the defining points of politics. I don't think this is as bad as people as people think, but this is definitely something I see contributing to that. And I don't like that at all, but we'll have to see going forward. Um, yeah. It's just, I don't think this has been a good week for um, The Voice and if you were placing bets on it, I'm sure the odds might've uh, dropped a bit this week for for its success
0: yeah I, I tend to I tend to agree with you on that. it certainly it, it certainly hasn't hasn't shone. Um, what how about you Pete? How are you seeing it in the discussions?
2: Oh, well, just to go and pick up on the culture comments uh, that Barry made, uh, there's the adage that politics is downstream from culture, so politics is always going to be tied to what's happening culturally. Uh, that said, I don't see the voice subject. As a cultural subject, as such, um, the I'm old enough to remember the Republican uh, debate and referendum, and I'm seeing very much the same kind of hallmarks that uh, happen there. In that, people who are party to the proposed change, because there's disparate groups, there's no one united vision of what people want. Those. Groups will go and work against each other to go and get their uh, their vision up. Uh, the unwillingness to compromise, uh, have a look at the bigger picture, so on and so forth. Uh, so that is going to be one of the biggest impediments to the to the pro voice uh, camp. That said, personally, I'm not in favour of it uh, purely because of the basic principle of equal representation uh, of all citizens of Australia, some of the comments that the Black Greens uh, group have made um, do do go and smack of a bit of ignorance, um, for want of a better term. For example, things like discussion of a treaty. Well, okay, what is a treaty? A treaty is an agreement between different bodies that are subject to international law mm. and proposals, proposals for sovereignty. So, hang on, we are one sovereign nation of Australia. You're not going to have people backing a subdivision of a nation within a nation formally mm-hmm. recognised. Uh, that's a, a very dangerous path to go down. They're, once that precedent is set, you then cannot put the genie back in the bottle of any other disparate group that then wants to go and set up their own sovereignty whether that be as a readily, uh, you know, something of recent memory, uh, setting up of caliphates or something like that, Mm. not to say that that's going to be the next thing on the cards, but people don't like um, people and communities becoming insular because then that goes against the very principles of us being a multicultural society. Uh, I, I have a look to some of the overseas examples where they have moved down the path of something similar to The Voice. Uh, New Zealand has had this in place for many years and it hasn't resulted in any net benefit to the Maoris of New Zealand uh, with smacks of issues around ATSIC when that was up and around. And the this top-down approach, while ideologically it seems it's consistent with people who are supportive of big government versus those people who are more of a grassroots uh, approach to things. The uh, outcomes of the Uluru uh, talks, they supported the co-design principle and going from bottom up. You need to have anything like this informed from the bottom up rather than top-down approach because what is a pertinent issue for... Uh, tribal people living in the Kimberley is very different to people who may identify of, of Aboriginal ancestry living in country Victoria. Yes. Very different requirements. You cannot have a one size fits all.
0: No, I feel I feel like that's uh, something that doesn't get discussed enough. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you know, we're not talking about some uh, homogenous group of people who are the same regardless of where they are we're talking about uh different groups of different people across a, a pretty big bloody block of uh land it's it's not surprised i mean you know we're, we're talking uh you know, multiple europes in australia we see the the differences in uh uh, people are spread across uh, Europe and it's a similar thing for a civilization that has been here for uh you know, 60,000 years I'm, you know I don't know whether I'm getting that right or wrong whether it's it's, it's 40 or
2: uh, 80 I can't
1: yeah 60 is like... generally correct yeah i'd
2: say okay. okay. so, so, <laughs> give, give or take it's a little while yeah <laughs> yeah
1: it's
0: <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> yeah. give or yeah. take it's a funny. little while <laughs> <laughs> So you know you have uh, you have an enormous land mass with uh, varying people, and to suddenly because we're trying to condense uh, a, a very tiny history since you know, Europeans came over, you can't just turn around and say, well, now we can treat everybody who's been living here as uh, just one homogenous people who think the same and have the same wants and same needs. And unfortunately, I it feels like for simplicity and trying to get this passed that there's there's that mindset out there and it's saying we've got an organization everyone's represented onto the next stage and not really examining how crucial that is
2: yeah i think the i think what would be widely supported and this could be done quite simply legislatively rather than having to go through and try Uh, go down the referendum process, which will be divisive. Um, That's one thing that observation that Dutton's made, which I do agree with. Uh, You're much better having that decentralised, low-level information to local representatives who can then go and work with state and federal governments to go and address the issues that are actually relevant. And I mean, realistically, the solutions to the issues are ones that are, are going to be a mixture of cultural and government slash economic approaches to these things. We've we've got a situation where for for years we've gone and tried just throwing money at things and in a hope that yes that'll make things go away and fix things. Well, no, that's that top down approach. What about the bottom up? Listen to the people who are at the uh, at the pointy end and uh, and. You know, help them, help their communities.
0: Yeah, look, I I tend to agree with you on on that. You said just to just to go back a little bit. You said you Pete that you didn't think this was uh, a cultural issue. Can you just elaborate on that? And I think I might have missed something there.
2: Uh, no, as in the the subject of having you know the voice to parliament itself. That whole concept not necessarily being a cultural issue um as such that's uh i think probably it's more an indication of people's beliefs in how to problem solve as to whether it's that centralized top-down approach or whether it's the, the decentralized listen to the people who are closest to the issues and then addressing them rather than getting it filtered through however many layers to then have a homogenised uh, declaration, right?
0: Okay, I get you on that on that that process side. Uh, I also, I suppose, with the other uh, point that you you made uh, with with it being divisive, I tend to agree. I tend to agree with that, and I think your point that uh, to speculate on what it can lead to is a, a valid point. I find that the difficulty in these situations is that uh, you can, the argument comes back. Well, we're not talking about people who've uh, come here since European settlement. We're talking about people who were here first. Therefore, it's not divisive, and anything we decided it decide is is different to what may come after that, after this, from other uh, groups. Don't know that I, I can I can see that argument, uh, but I don't know that I hundred percent agree with it, because it is by its nature going to be divisive. Now you can you can say well look that's the cost we pay we have to, to live with that. Unfortunately, when you see that when you when there's division there in people, it often gets exploited for for power. So that's a big thing that bothers me, and I think it might be something that is going to change people's mind on supporting it because they are, they are concerned about the divisive nature of it.
1: 100%. And you go, ben.
2: Go on, Barry. Okay. Um, yeah, 100%. And the cynic in me always tends to look for what is the motivation for people that are pushing change, regardless of what it is. Very few people actually act out of some sense of, you know, duty or altruism. It's usually a self-serving factor in there somewhere, whether that be wealth, influence, power, something like that. People are always pushing for something. Uh, And, yeah, that needs to be looked at with a critical eye. I was just going to
1: bring up the point that um i I was kind of thinking about as we were talking about you know how much change this is going to be it's the other the other kind of factor or um perspective on on the voice referendum is what it's going to mean for i think a imminent ish um uh (sighs) I've forgotten the word Republican referendum, as uh, Pete referenced earlier. You know, we of course know that Anthony Albanese appointed a, a su- assistant minister for the republic and um, is kind of bringing up the, this issue. Um, I also think it's a fairly good bet to assume that Labor already is is in for a second term. I'd be, I think we've, I've said multiple times that I'm pretty confident for that, and it will be really interesting to see how the result of the voice referendum affects that because if it is a yes i can entirely see anthony Albanese going into the next election with the um the republic referendum on the cards and Mm. if that's a yes you, you could be looking at a prime minister with two two referendums under them which would be in in like a i'll say amazing but um you know opinions might differ but definitely a substantial legacy and i think also the republican referendum is one perhaps more likely to pass so it it will be interesting to see what effect the voice referendum will have on the republic referendum because if the voice referendum doesn't pass i could definitely see them backing down from a republic referendum in in you know the next five years but if it does i could see them ramping up so it's 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 gonna be it's it's gonna be such an interesting topic this year to look through and, and look at the results that are gonna come from it, either from a no or from a yes.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Interesting to see a pattern. Okay, well let's let's move from an enormous land down to quarter acre block size and get on to our next topic, which is is it time to remove stamp duty? Uh, what I read was that the ACT has recently removed theirs but they are the only one of the territories and states as i i understood it uh one of the things that i would class as sleight of hand is uh that particularly in new south (coughs) excuse me particularly in new south wales and uh victoria there is shifting the emphasis onto, well, you don't have to pay stamp duty because you don't, you effectively don't have to pay stamp duty because we're giving you first home buyer uh, exemptions or grants. So it's a way that the pollies can spin it to say, look, we are effectively removing stamp duty and then waving their hand and hoping that nobody notices the fact that it still hasn't removed the tax. And that the moment that first home buyer becomes a second home buyer, they're back to paying the stamp duty again. Look, pers- my personal opinion is uh, I'm not a big fan of, of, of tax. I can see some reasons for it in some things, but the stamp duty to me just – I can't tell you how much it grates on me. You're having, having moved, moved a few times and then looking there and thinking you've just dipped your hand into my pocket just because I've had to move. And as somebody else was saying, it's uh, essentially a uh, 40,000. I think they're referring more to, to East coast here. It's essentially a $40,000 penalty for somebody wanting to move their, their home. Uh, I, I personally think it's an egregious tax. I don't know what you would replace it with. However, my opinion is it it does need to be removed. Uh, what what about what about you, Pete? What do you think?
2: Oh, yeah, you're talking my language. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was saying it's, uh, it's it, it it is no secret amongst those people on the uh, on the Reddit uh, Ozpol sub that I am not a fan of uh, sort of big government and uh, heinous taxation, um, while not being a complete laissez-faire capitalist, I am very much libertarian. Huh. Uh, the the stamp duty, yes, absolutely, it should be offloaded, but also let's let's not forget that it's on every single transaction you do with government, not yep. just property, but property stands out because it's the big dollar, but every single transaction you do, um, and even if government is only, you know, a periphery to it you buy a car you're paying stamp duty you sell a car to another individual as a private sale you've got stamp duty in there your rates stamp duty your buddy rego stamp duty it just it is uh it is such a a source of revenue to the state governments, which is why uh, you know vic and new south wales especially uh it's going to be you know pride from their cold dead fingers uh, ACT they did a they did a wind down uh, of it rather than just a light switch approach. Uh, even sort of going back to the Henry tax review that was done ages ago, they recommended getting rid of stamp duty, uh, and in its place they suggested either increasing the GST rate, which is you know the original plan when GST came in, it was to replace stamp duty, but one of the concessions to go and have GST at 10% was to allow states to still have stamp duty. So we could go back to that. Uh, or there's also been land taxes uh, that have been floated around as an alternative for those people who have rental properties, they already have to pay a land tax on that investment property. Yep. Uh, but as you said, it's an impediment to to economic activity and you know, We're trying to go and get people to downsize empty nesters who still live in the old four bedroom home in an inner city suburb, which would be a more attractive uh, proposition for someone who now works in the city and a raising family to have. Now, the person who's wanting to move in with their family, they've got to stump up that not insignificant cost to get in closer. And $40,000 is a lot of train fares. Oh, uh, oh. and and the oldies going and selling up those properties, they then have to move somewhere else, and they're going to be very mindful of you know their savings. They have to survive on what they've got in the bank or in super, so they're not going to want to be going and spending a significant amount of money on moving into a new place, be that a retirement over-50s village or their own little smaller independent place. It puts the brakes on... So many solutions to things that we all look around and say, "Oh, this is a problem. This is a problem." More oh, housing affordability, overcrowding, urban spread, blah, blah 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 blah. For Christ's sake, grab some balls and go and make some decisions, government.
0: Yep. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know you're preaching to the
1: converted
0: here as well. What about uh, what about you, Barry? Are you on the are you on the disgust train with us?
1: No, no, I love taxes. I love them oh, so yeah. much. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't quite love taxes, uh, but I, I, I would probably be on the, the opposite end. I'm just trying to... I knew it in my head, and then I realised I should confirm it right now, but um, the kind of perspective I want to put on it is that we've had Chris Mins, the leader of, of the New South Wales Labour Party, obviously heading into the New South Wales state election, um, I believe just announced that he will abolish... M.T. in New South Wales um, in a light switch approach for first home buyers only. I'll just type while I while I talk. Um, and it's going to be interesting going on that. I am someone who in the next hopefully 10 years will see how much I get paid when once I graduate uni. Um, but hopefully the next 10 years would be a first home buyer. And that's something that would obviously directly benefit me. I don't like it. Um, I I don't like kind of the willy-nilly removing of taxes. And this definitely, at least in the Chris Minn situation and the New South Wales Labor situation, this definitely does feel like a kind of cash, you know, bribe for for the electorate in New South Wales. Um, The actual ethics and efficiency of, of stamp duty, I can't comment too much on. I don't think... I've bought a car, so I guess I've paid stamp duty once, but but other than that, I've never had to buy a home. So I'll let your guys' experience and expertise um, play onto that. But I I just don't see this being an effective policy. It's, to me, it's a reactive policy to repeal stamp duty um, in in terms of the housing crisis and housing situation, rather than a proactive policy and that addresses the root um, causes. And of course, we've discussed many times the um proactive policies we could make and i yeah i mean pulling money from government is never going to be easy so ah, i'm surprised no. that this came from chris Vins, <laughs> as his our date would, would well know um and i'm surprised this came from chris Mins. i'll let our date talk while i confirm that because i might have just been chatting a bunch of crap and i'll have to apologize in a second but give me one minute uh,
0: i i I'll let you. I'll let you. Can I'll let you confirm that rather than just talk off the, uh, the 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 top of my head, unless you know the answer, to that Pete.
2: No, I confess uh, not being a New South Welshman. I uh, haven't been following that one uh, too much, but uh, yeah, I mean, in days gone by, it used to be that uh, when you're moving out, you'd go and buy somewhere that was fairly modest, um, and then as you sort of Got hitched, start popped out a, a kid or two. You then moved into somewhere which was then be the family home rather than a, a bachelor or spinster pad. Uh, and then once the family moves out there, and you downsize, and off you go again. That that cycle is something that we don't see too much nowadays. People tend to want to get into the McMansion from the from the get go, uh, yeah. and unfortunately, the, the the builders, the housing market has responded to that. Uh, but I don't know. There is that. There is a quick and easy, uh, you know, a way to address that because it's it's the suppliers reacting to the demand that buyers want.
0: Yeah. Look, I'd, <laughs> I I'd agree. There's not uh, there's not an easy answer here. And you know, in in fairness to the government and i do this occasionally i wouldn't like to be the one making that uh that decision uh did you find what you're after barry
1: i i did in fact and i I remember i i read it correctly so i I got it correct which is good so labor um new south wales labor are looking to abolish stamp duty completely for first home buyers um up to a a house up to eight hundred thousand dollars which i remember reading some of the uh comments in the subreddit on on this article And a lot of them were questioning how many houses you can get in Sydney for $800,000. The answer is not many. Um, and then also uh, reducing cost upwards of that. So completely abolished for homes up to 800,000 and then, um, reducing stamp duty, um, for properties up to 1 million. And then I believe after that, nothing changes. And I think that's also, yeah, only that's all only for first home buyers. Uh, so there's okay. at least um, one approach to, to getting rid of stamp duty that we might see in the future in New South Wales.
0: Hmm. Okay, well, let's follow our conversation out of the home, up the chimney and into the atmosphere and get on to action on carbon credits heating up. Uh, there has been uh, pushed back from the Greens on on Labor's uh, proposal to try and get the, the, the carbon credits... Uh, formalised and uh, in place so that they're able to achieve the reductions that they wanted for their, uh, what was it, 2030 or 2050 goals? I can't, I can't remember uh, whether it's either or on that. The main problem as I saw it, and I'd like to hear your two opinions on, on what you think it is, the main issue that I saw with this was uh, the sticking point seems to be, Why should it be that large corporations, particularly, I think there's about 215 that have been specifically targeted by the Labor government as needing to reduce uh, their emissions by uh, something like 30% by a particular date. The problem seems to be that uh, the Greens in particular, and they're not the only ones, have an issue with large corporations being able to just buy their uh, carbon credits, yeah, buy their indulgences on the, the market and and move ahead. Uh, with the market, uh, at the moment, the government's setting the uh, price at $75, uh, which is above the market price of something like 30, whatever it was, 30-something odd dollars. Uh, as pointed out, the $75 does set uh, a cap to allow... Uh, some control on the market and still to allow the larger corporations to uh, basically do their sums and work out how they can th- meet their goals. I'll actually, we've got from one of the, uh, one of the, 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 the uh, mods, Australian politics, uh, Guru Jay, he did a very good summary of the uh, situation with the, the carbon credits. So I'll post that in the comments of this, this talk, but Getting back to it, and we'll start with you, Barry. Uh, Do you think its main issue is that carbon uh, credits can be bought as a get-out-of-jail-free card for corporations, or do you think there's uh, some other sticking points to it? Um,
1: I I kind of don't particularly. I think corporations are always going to be able to find ways around it. I, I think my sticking point was that maybe they should just be more expensive. Um, I'm right. just thinking back to the kind of, and I'm going to age myself a bit as I, as I often do. Um, I think f- just thinking back, I was in about year five, year six when um, the carbon tax came in. And I remember that being the first time I ever thought or like heard about politics. And I even had kids in my class discussing it and how much their parents had to Julia Gillard. Um, because of that famously very well liked policy, um, although I, I I tend to think nowadays that that's a travesty that how it was treated. Um, I I don't mind the idea. Like I, I can't see any <laughs> I can't see any other way you're gonna do it. And if you just upped the price, made it tougher. Of course you you have to balance it. Um, I'd just like to see it so that it's a kind of motive to innovate. I think we saw that, um, Ray, if you go back and read some of the stuff about the carbon tax and some of the companies that perhaps got hit the hardest with it, and at the time were the, the largest companies kind of crying wolf about it, um, you'll go back and see that it forced them to innovate and they're actually in better places now. They're, you know, they're more efficient, they're more energy efficient in particular, and they're, and they're doing better. So yeah. I don't see a problem with the scheme, perhaps just its, its effect and its toughness.
0: Yeah, I can I can see that. Uh, yeah, there there are some you do introduce that friction and companies will find a way, uh, will try and find ways to get around it. You know, it's still I don't know, still to me waving the stick doesn't sit easily with me, but I do I I do take your point on that. What about you Pete, how do you see it?
2: Uh, I I love it how the solution for so many problems is to Uh, Introduce (laughs) a tax on something?
0: Why why did I? I could hear that in the tone of your voice. I knew that (laughs) you were going to go. I love it. Yeah,
2: it's (laughs) yeah, it's. uh, I mean, absolutely. Business will go and find a way. Uh, They always do. That's that's that is what business does. They find a way. Um, But business is far more uh, beholden to its customer base than government. And for government to turn around and and just arbitrarily put prices on things and interfere with markets, historically, it's never worked out well. Um, The Great Depression, that was government interference. They withdrew one-third of the US monetary supply in pretty much one hit. And uh, that led to some rather dire consequences because they felt that was our best approach. Well, guess what? There was a few unintended consequences there. With the uh, yeah, with the carbon carbon credits, I mean, let's let's completely disregard any discussion about the effectiveness or the appropriateness of um, targeting carbon dioxide emissions as the holy grail for global warming. Let's just put that entire discussion aside, yep. but, and then look at it as a mechanism for achieving what it's meant to so having the ability to purchase carbon credits and so on at the end of the day that is an expense to business what happens with all expenses it gets passed on the consumer yep. so a consumer ends up paying for that business to be able to maintain doing its business yes businesses will search for efficiencies and all this kind of stuff again because it's pursuit of Going in, driving efficiencies, reducing the bottom line. Businesses are always far more reactive and beholden to consumers. Consumers always have the power, unless you're talking about a monopoly. Yeah. And if people don't want to go and do business with company X, Y, Z because you know they are terribly inefficient and emitters of all things bad, go do. Go take your money and spend it with someone else. Uh, We're seeing this now with superannuation funds. You've got some funds who are championing their sales pitch because they do not go and put any investments into any carbon-intensive industries at all. And as a consumer, that's your choice. Do that. And probably doing it through your super funds is probably the biggest way to do it because super funds are moving shitloads of money around.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Literally hundreds of billions of dollars and hundreds of billions of dollars is a big bloody voice.
2: Yep, absolutely. And at the end of the day, money talks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, look, exactly. Uh, I was going to transition from uh, levies of one sort and who you choose business with uh to another levy, the should non-union members be levied for union successes? We're coming up to the hour, so we might just do this uh, quickly. Uh, I've, I, you know, I've been I've been a member of union in the the past. I've been a union rep in the the past. I don't particularly like the uh, union bureaucracy as it has has grown. Even though I support uh, fully support the, the right of people to to unionize. But, on this one, if we can do a bit of a quick roundtable to me, uh, I'm not in favour of you non-union members being levied. I think that goes against the per- uh, uh, that goes against the point of of people banding together and having the freedom of of choice. Uh, we'll see what get quick comment from you, Barry, and then we'll finish off with you, Pete.
1: Um, look, I, I, I tend to agree. Uh the, the thing I would add is that I understand the motive behind it. I understand that as a as a union paying member myself, it's annoying. Um it, it can be you know, they they can take full use of a lot of the services of a union, people that don't pay levies um or or any union dues. And it's kind of frustrating when you're paying them and, and supporting them. And there are plenty of problems in unions, so I'm not gonna say they're golden saints, but I agree. It's against the spirit. As much as it annoys me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it. It's, it's just not how a union works. It shouldn't be how a union works. I understand the motive, but I don't think it's the right thing at all.
2: Yeah. What about you, Pete? Yep. I'm the same. I mean, unionism is meant to be voluntary, and it's a response to uh, the record low union membership. Uh, unions, at the end of the day, they're selling a product, to the workers in that particular workplace, and if they cannot attract the workers to that product, they need to look at themselves and ask the question: Why? Um, yes, it's a fair, it's a fair question to go and ask as to whether people should benefit in the tools of others' labours. Um, which, for me, because this is coming from the union movement, is such delicious irony. It is. Oh. A palpable uh, <laughs> of, of you know, do you deserve the fruits of someone else's labor? Yeah, and for uh, me, from an ide- ideological point of view, uh, I just I, I've I've had a few chuckles over it, to be honest.
0: Oh, beautiful! I love that. Look, that's uh, uh, that's a that's a nice way to f- that's a nice way to finish. Look, thank you very much uh, for joining us this morning, Pete. Uh, for joining myself and and Barry. We're, Really appreciated your your input and what you've had to, to say. We got through quite Thanks a. Yeah, great. We got through quite. Thank a, you for a the invite, topic. My pleasure. We we will do it another time. And I want to thank everybody who has tuned in, uh, who's commented in the 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 chat. Uh, top profile five six nine five. Ben along, of course, and uh, down low. One hundred. We appreciate your your input in there, and we appreciate all those people that we've seen uh, listening, and those who will be downloading this podcast later on through talkingozpol.com dot uh, We hope the rest of your week is smooth and enjoyable, and that things go your your way. So, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, we'll sign off now. See you, Barry.
1: See you, Pete. Cheers, Adi. See ya. Thanks like so. all.